This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. Welcome to the Hope Book Club with your host, Katrina Rowe. We are talking books with Natasha Moore from the Centre for Public Christianity this morning. Why? Well, because life is just better with a book. Today we are diving into the dystopian feminist novel The Power by Naomi Alderman. It's been called The Handmaid's Tale of Our Era and it comes with the recommendation of Margaret Atwood herself. It won the Bailey's Prize for Women's Fiction in the UK recently. Natasha Moore has read it. Hi, Natasha. Hi, Katrina. So this is being compared to The Handmaid's Tale. Do you think that's a fair comparison? It is in some ways. I mean, it is a feminist novel. It does picture this future that uh, is disturbing in many ways. And there is the Margaret Atwood connection. So the acknowledgements at the end of this book, in the first paragraph, Naomi Alderman thanks Margaret Atwood, Karen Joy Fowler and Ursula Le Guin. Oh, wow. kind of three amazing <laughs> women names. writers. So yeah. you kind of go, this has had some serious Input. woman power behind it. Yeah. Um, so, so what's the premise of the story? So it sounds a little bit ridiculous when I say it, but it's not. It, they, it's treated very realistically. The idea is it's set somewhere around our time, but suddenly around the world – girls of about 14, 15, girls going through puberty, find that they have the power to discharge electric jolts through their hands. Wow. So, you know, serious ones that can kill. Oh. Uh, And so, and they can wake, wake up this power in older women as well. So suddenly what happens is that women become physically the more powerful gender. And a whole bunch of things begin to change. So how does the world change now that women have the upper hand? Well, it's just fascinating because I feel as though with everything that happened, part of me was like, oh, I'm so surprised by that. I wouldn't have thought of that. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, of course. Yeah, that makes total sense that that is what would happen. So in certain countries, like in Saudi Arabia, there's a revolution. Women kind of rise up. Uh, In Moldova, in Eastern Europe, which is kind of a hub for sex trafficking, the women who are being trafficked rise up and start a war. Uh, In the West, things are a bit more, you know, sedate. Low-key. But things start to change more gradually. So in terms of things like um, even dating etiquette, in terms of politics, how power dynamics work, uh, in terms of schooling, uh, who's safe, who feels safe, who doesn't. Mothers start telling their sons not to go out at night because it's not safe for them. So all these kind of reversals that start to happen more gradually. And really the whole thing is even though it is set in this dystopian universe and um, it's actually written as though from 5,000 years in the future or something. Um, So looking back on this big change that happened in society, really it's a thought experiment about our own culture and how power works within it and how the two sexes relate and what difference it makes that one is more physically powerful than the other. So it does kind of expose how you... Think about that yourself. What would you take out of it for life here today? I mean, it's not a simple, straightforward, less like there's no moral of the story mm. because it is a really uh, complex story. And it, it plays out at first as being really fun. Like there's sort of a revenge fantasy element to it because suddenly all these women who are oppressed or who've been kind of treated as trivial or 
you know, their skills downplayed, treated as sex objects and so on, suddenly they have power and you kind of, that's a bit of a heady thing to read about. I had this um, experience, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this actually. After I finished reading it, a friend wrote to me and she said, uh, so, you know, firstly, what did you think? Secondly, did you try to produce electricity from your hands when you read this book? (laughs) I was a bit like, look, I didn't. But there was this one day when I was reading it on the bus on the way home from work and I was so immersed in the world of the novel that I just, I think I felt more powerful than usual. Like I Uh kind of got off the bus. I forgot that this was not real. I went into kind of the IGA to buy some, um, into the fruit and veg store to buy uh, something and there was no one there and it was just the guy, you know, this big guy behind the counter who was serving me. And, you know, we kind of talked and I paid for my groceries and left and I realized as I left that I had been and he wouldn't have noticed anything that it was unusual but that I'd been kind of more friendly than usual because I had this feeling of you know we're alone in this store no one's here and I'm the threatening object here like I want to kind of put him at his ease because you know obviously I'm really dangerous because I have this uh, (laughs) yeah which obviously I don't think it was (laughs) until I was walking out that I was like oh it didn't register with me that I'm not powerful. Like That must I'm be what life is like to be a, yes, a man. <laughs> exactly. So that's what I mean by a thought experiment. You kind of go, oh, what would it be like to be powerful? <sighs> wow. It sounds like a confronting read in many ways because I know that it doesn't paint a picture of this being a blissful, idyllic, perfect world after this thing happens. So would you recommend this book? I would, absolutely. And I think... One of the things that it's really revealing on is that sense of human nature and abuse of power. So instead of going down that, oh, if only women ruled the world, everything would be sunshine and sweetness, she really explores what happens when humans, whether they're men or women, get control of power like and the corrupting nature of power. And I think she does that in a really unexpected way not straightforward but really insightful way. Sounds a bit Lord of the Flies, Natasha. It does a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what are the implications for religion when the power shifts onto women instead of men? Yeah, this is one of the really interesting elements of the book, of which there are many. Uh, the book really follows four main characters across the globe. Uh, one of them is a British girl called Roxy. She's the daughter of a drug baron. Uh, one of them is a US... Uh, politician. Uh, She's very ambitious uh, and greedy in some ways. One of them is a young Nigerian journalist, a man who uh, starts to kind of chronicle these massive shifts. And the fourth one is a girl called Ali who is in an abusive foster home in Alabama. She escapes from that and she becomes this kind of religious revolutionary. Uh, And the way that her story is told is quite ambivalent you never know if you're quite on her side or not and how sincere she is and that kind of thing but she does you know insert herself in this convent and in this religious order and then start shifting how people are thinking about uh, Christianity in particular and shifting things towards you know more the mother than the father and that kind of thing so it does look at how power dynamics play out from a religious angle as well in ways that are quite confronting and again I think quite insightful. So would you recommend this book? I would. I loved it. I mean it's it is a distressing read in some parts. There's some violence in it that is 
very disturbing to read, uh, but one of those books that I could not put down and that really helps you to see the world in a different way, which you might not necessarily like, but it's quite an experience. Okay. <laughs> so let's move on now to A Gentleman in Moscow by Emma Tolls. This is a classy novel set just after the Russian Revolution. Alexander Rostov is a handsome count who was spared execution and instead was holed up in the Hotel Metropole for the rest of his life. Think Downton Abbey meets the Russian Revolution, or as one reviewer wrote, imagine a younger Slavic version of Alexander McCall Smith facing the Bolsheviks. Tell us about the character of the count. Did you find him endearing? I really did. I mean, in some ways, he's not a believable character because he's just so perfect and he's so charming. (laughs) And, you know, he's like young and handsome and urbane and sophisticated and he knows all this stuff and he's gracious and charming. So, every woman's fantasy. Yeah, basically. Okay. And how does he handle his incarceration? Well, it varies over time. He has many, many years to come to terms with it. Uh, and, and one of his key qualities is that he's completely unflappable. This oh. is what it is to be a true gentleman, that none of these things phase him. And that even though he's used to all this luxury, uh, you know, he was part of the Russian aristocracy before the revolution, that he can find ways of building a life without all that. Mm. By just, you know, the resources within himself and by making the most of the situation that he's in and doing that in a really classy way. Uh, so he, you know, I mean, it is a very nice hotel, to be fair. It's not as though he's, um, you know, locked up in a cell uh, and he dines at the restaurants in the hotel and makes friends with the hotel staff. And there are characters that come and go, whether that's, you know, famous a famous actress who comes to the hotel occasionally, uh, who he strikes up a relationship with, or foreign journalists eventually and diplomats. So there's these kind of people who come in and out and these episodes of his life as he kind of grapples with, do I want to actually live out my life here or would I be better off ending it? Mm. It sounds interesting that it's set over a very long period of time but in such a, I guess, limited location. Does the fact that the whole novel is confined to this really small space cramp the author's style at all? I don't think it does. I think it kind of gives him the opportunity to make this whole world out of this one little space. And I mean, it's a large-ish hotel with a lot going on, but it does become this sort of microcosm of the world that, you know, the Communist Party officials come there to meet. And so all these things that are going on outside the walls of the hotel and all the changes, the really dramatic changes that are happening across Russia, he's sort of secluded from those things but also he gets whispers of them and slices of them. And so it's it's quite a charming and interesting way to convey a lot of that history and also to convey it from a very Russian perspective. I mean, he's the writer is not Russian. Um, I don't know what Russian connection he has. I think he might have just been there. But you do, even though obviously we know so much about how terrible the Soviet regime was, and it doesn't gloss over that. So this is set in the Stalin era, is it? Yes, so throughout um, Lenin, Stalin, and then Khrushchev. All right. Um, And so it's not 
naive about the terrible things that are happening, but it's also because it's told from the perspective of Russians who are very Russian and who love their country and because he's so philosophical about the chances and changes of life, it's not as though he's bitter about his lot. Mm. And so you do kind of see it from the inside and from an insider's perspective, which is quite a different take on it, I think, for a lot of us. And so what like moral values would you say we pick up from the way the Count deals with his predicament? I think partly because the vibe of the book is so whimsical and charming, you do have a sense of uh, what it looks like to make something of a life, whatever its limitations, and to make something wonderful of it. Um, And I think there's also... You know, not that he's without luxuries in uh, the Hotel Metropole, one of the nicest hotels in Russia, uh, but it's not the kind of thing that he's used to. The way that he deals with that graciously, with kind of coming down in the world and not being treated as, uh, you know, important um, or powerful in any way, that he can be kind of modest and unassuming about that is really cool. So, I mean, there's this – can I read a passage to you? Yes, absolutely. um, I really like this bit. This is from late in the novel. He says to someone, I'll tell you what is convenient, to sleep until noon and have someone bring you your breakfast on a tray, to cancel an appointment at the very last minute, to keep a carriage waiting at the door of one party so that on a moment's notice it can whisk you away to another, to sidestep marriage in your youth and put off having children altogether. These are the greatest of conveniences, Anushka, and at one time I had them all. But in the end, it has been the inconveniences that have mattered to me most. Mm, How interesting. I I reckon this could speak to people who have, you know, metaphorical imprisonment in their life, you know, or might be trapped in some kind of circumstances to sort of draw strength from. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I mean, we don't all have the charm and manners and resources of the Count. But I think it does have a, it's a very uplifting book uh, and with lots of reflections on life and what makes life worth living and how you build a good life Mm. within the limitations that you have. Sounds fascinating. So now I want to bring a book to you, Natasha, and this was one that you actually recommended to me. I've been absolutely gobsmacked by this book, Chris Cleave, Everyone Brave is Forgiven. Did you love this? I loved it. I loved it. I was a little bit traumatised by it, um, but I adored it and have been forcing it on everyone I know because I think it's so great. <laughs> me too. So what what astounded me about this book was the way that there are a number of points in the book where you've literally felt that anything could happen. And I don't want to spoil stuff that happens, but you're almost the whole time wondering who is going to be the main character, what is going to be the main love story, you know, Anything could happen to these characters. You, you're really confronted with, I guess, the peril of living life in wartime and what that meant to people at the time. So it really, yeah, I don't think I've ever been quite so gripped um, by a book before. I know. I feel as though almost every second book that comes out at the moment seems to be about World War Two. We just don't get tired of telling these stories. I wanted to read this one because, I mean, it's set partly in the London Blitz, um, and partly in Malta during the siege of Malta during World War Two, which I didn't know anything about, but I went to Malta a oh little while ago. Goodness. And wow. so I was really interested in reading about that. And 
so it's just these slices of life. And I think I know a lot about the Blitz, but the way that the actual experience of it is told in the novel, I realised that I really didn't know anything about what it was really like to live in the Blitz. Yeah, well, and there was another book actually, Life After Life, which had an, also had an excellent portrayal of the Blitz. But the part that was fascinating for me definitely was the part of the book that was set in Malta um, because I ha- I wasn't familiar with that piece of history and it was so moving to, I guess, feel for the predicament of these people who were stuck there with so little to eat and no hope of getting off the island. It really must have been an excruciating experience for these people. No, and I mean the thing about reading a book about something that really happened is that I kept being like, oh, should I Google how long the Siege of Malta lasts? Because this is excruciating. How much longer is it going to last? So I had the experience with them of like, how much longer is this going to last? Surely we'll be relieved at any moment. But also then Googling it and being like, oh, no, you've got a long time to go, actually. Yeah. One of the things that tormented me most in this book, and I don't think that this is a spoiler, is that um, Alistair, who's one of the main characters, his friend Tom gives him a jar of jam right at the beginning of the war. And even while they're starving on Malta, he just will not open that jam and eat it. And that just <laughs> tore me apart, you know. To but see- it would be an admission of defeat, you know, <laughs> that the needs of the body were the highest thing and there was nothing else. So he was keeping it because there, there are things that are more than just what they need. No way. I'm just like, eat it so you don't die. (laughs) Anyway, I highly recommend uh, this book. It is gripping. It's beautifully written. It has a lovely romance in it Mm -hmm. as well. So I really think something for everyone. Even my husband enjoyed it, Natasha. Wow, impressive. Yes. So uh, it's by Chris Cleave. It's called Everyone Brave is Forgiven. Thanks so much for coming in, Natasha. Thanks for having me. Uh, You've been listening to The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Why? Because life is better with a book. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.